Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the NWA Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome to our latest episode of NucleCast. I am your host, Adam Lowther, and today my guest is Zach Callenborn. For those of you that may already know Zach, you know his work on drones. He is one of the foremost experts on drones, and he writes really good stuff. So Zach is a policy fellow at the Center for Security Policy Studies at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. He is a research affiliate at the Unconventional Weapons and Technology Division of the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism, START. That's at the University of Maryland. He's a senior consultant at ABS Group, and he's a fellow at the National Institute for Deterrent Studies. He has a lot of hats. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Zach. Thanks for having me. So the reason I wanted you on the show is because you were clearly one of the brightest minds on drones and you think more broadly and creatively about drones. And as we're, you know, we're a show, Nuclecast, as we generally talk, we talk a little bit about nuclear power, but we primarily talk about nuclear weapons, nuclear strategy, adversaries, that kind of thing. And I thought it would be great to talk about drones and how drones might play a role in the future of deterrence, of delivering weapons, of trying to defeat weapons, all sorts of ways in which they can, you know, they can play a role. And you were the, obviously the natural choice for this. So before we get into all of those creative and interesting things that people are like, wow, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Where are we with drones today? How do you see them being used in Ukraine? You know, where should our listeners, you know, what do they need to know about drones? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great place um, to start because the reality is like the role of drones has been changing very, very rapidly in a short period. You know, I think most people's conceptions of drones have been really solidified, you know, with sort of the war on terror, thinking about like the MQ-9 Reaper as like, okay, these are these big systems that like hang out in Afghanistan and blow the crap out of terrorists. Um, but increasingly, it's not like that's certainly still a role for drones, but we've seen a massive broadening of the use of drones in conflict, not only for like big states like the United States, but also like smaller ones as well at a huge scale. Washington Post, for example, just ran a piece, I believe, earlier today saying that like the current Ukraine-Russia conflict is like the first real drone war. I don't know if I really buy that framing, you know, because drones have been used for a while for a number of reasons. But I, I think the point is right in that, like, we've seen drones being used against great powers against the Russia. Well, maybe not so great based on their success in Ukraine, but, you know, a tr more traditional great power. And because and that's significant, because previously a lot of analysts believed that drones, you know, they would be useless there. They just get shot down. And we do see some of that. But nonetheless, they played a major role. 
And interestingly, they've been playing a major role across like the full spectrum of conflict. Like we've seen, yes, bigger drones like the Bayraktar TB2, the Turkish supplied drone that's carried out a wide variety of strikes. Against Can everything. I ask you a question about that yes. drone? Yes, please. Do you know the song? Because it's one of my favorites. It's on my <laughs> iTunes list. Or, do you know it word for word? Be honest. Word for word, no. <laughs> I have listened to it quite a lot. Like that for a while, that was my wake up music. Like, all right, let's get pumped for the day and uh, sing about the bare actor. So yeah, no, that's a fantastic one. Sorry, go ahead, um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so you see everything from like the big bear actors destroying stuff to like these little tiny quadcopters that are literally commercial drones that you can find off the shelf that are being used to help guide artillery and create much more significant damage. We're also seeing not only that spectrum of aerial drones, but we're also seeing cross-domain as well. We've seen, I believe Russia has done a little bit of work with unmanned ground vehicles that can destroy mines. Likewise, uh, Ukraine just carried out a really fascinating attack where they use, I believe it was seven unmanned surface vehicles and nine aerial drones all operating together to carry out attacks against the Russian Black Sea fleet. And it's not clear that it caused like tremendous amounts of damage, but theoretically they could. Like, you know, you have those mass attacks where you get hit from a whole bunch of different directions at the same time. And, but Russia's behavior is, has already changed. They've moved a lot of their ships to port, um, had a bunch of defenses, that type of thing. That's just what we've seen in the past like several months. Sure. A couple of notable other developments beyond that is that we're also seeing greater, much greater uses of autonomy. So similarly in the Ukraine, some folks affiliated with the Ukraine military noted that they're cap entirely capable of using fully autonomous drones. That is drones that like have automated target recognition and selection say, all right, that's a tank, that's a person, blow that up. They admitted that they haven't used it and that's good because I think there's a lot of flaws that we can sort of dive into a little bit more uh, fully here. But we've also seen uh, the use of drone swarms, not in Ukraine, but a drone swarm being a collection of drones that all operate together as a collective system where they communicate between one another. So Israel actually used the first drone swarm in combat May of last year uh, to carry out attacks on uh, various uh, in terrorists uh, in that region. So just bottom line, what you see is massive use of drones across the spectrum, all domains, everything from big systems, little systems, working in collaboration, potentially multiple domains simultaneously. And what's more, the technology relatively simple, right? This is like Ukraine is hardly like a great power. That's That said, you know, we've certainly supplied a, quite a lot of this technology, but um, nonetheless, they can field this technology at relatively small power. So I think that's what we can expect to see over the future. So it's natural to think about, well, what does this mean across the spectrum of competition to include nuclear deterrence? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great, you know, it's funny you mentioned drone swarms and uh you know, I'm an I'm an avid baseball fan, and so mm -hmm. I, I you know live in Kansas City, so I go to quite a few uh, Royals games. And after one of the shows one night, they had a drone show, and it was amazing to see these drones operating and doing a performing a light show and you know creating different uh, pictures and the Royals sign and all sorts of stuff. And I thought. And it was hundreds of drones. So yeah. I thought for these drones to be able to, and they all operate autonomously. And it was, I thought, man, if, if for military purposes, th this can be problematic. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to put my expert hat on and pick a, pick apart that a little bit. So um, I think those like examples, like those drone shows are really fascinating because they do show absolutely, as you said, like that potential, like what happens? We have tons and tons of drones doing all these complex things. 
in the case of those drone shows, most of those are operating based on pre-programmed routes. So like each of those drones is following, I believe it's like a GPS route mm-hmm. that says like, go here, go here, go here, that type of thing. Um, they aren't necessarily like communicating and collaborating. That said, you know, for a military purpose, depending on what you're trying to do, like some of that pre-programmed things, that might just be fine. Like if you're hitting a relatively static target where you know where it is, just bombard it with a whole bunch of drones. Like that might be fine. Um, but I think the real complexity comes when you start getting that communication where you get sort of that dynamic engagement and states are absolutely going in that direction. Naval postgraduate school, for example, is looking at what if you have swarms of literally hundreds of thousands of drones, like what would it take to build that and equally important counter that. So as we think about drones, I mean, I wrote an article in like 2008, I think is one of the First mm-hmm. articles I wrote when I was working for the Air Force, and I my argument was take the Navy's UCAS, which was a fairly big system, mm-hmm. and put a B-61 on it and then use it as a, you know, a stealthy, small nuclear bomber that can penetrate. And we've mm-hmm. come a long way since then. You know, our, our capabilities have come a long way, but it's – but this idea that drones can play a role in – you know, nuclear deterrence or nuclear war fighting, or it's, it's clearly a big deal. So as you think about drones, cause you think about drones more than just about anybody, how do you see drones playing a role in sort of nuclear deterrence or war fighting or, you know, whether it's detection or, you know, there's a whole, you know, host of roles it could potentially play. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think that's the reality of it is that potentially it can play every single role. Like that's one of the things I actually find fascinating about drones is that like there's so many potential applications. You know, go back to my point I was making earlier, you know, you have drones across every single domain and potentially operating simultaneously with any conceivable payload. So I think just from a purely theoretical perspective, I think drones could apply for literally any potential nuclear mission. You know, they could carry nuclear weapons themselves. We have we've seen some examples of that, um, particularly Russia's uh, Poseidon nuclear torpedo, which occasionally is described as an unmanned um, undersea vehicle. The you know, the lines there are a little bit squishy, um, but nonetheless, it's some sensible people think it would consider that within the realm of drones because sort of maneuvering autonomously to some degree. So that's very plausible. You could also certainly see drones as sort of supporting uh, more traditional delivery systems. You know, one of the things that we've seen drones be very effective at is like serving as decoys. Since a lot of these drone systems are relatively cheap. And certainly if that drone doesn't have a nuclear weapon on it, the loss of that relative to like a more advanced bomber, like, sure, that's great. Um, If it triggers those air defenses um, and can either counter them or just, you know, waste the munition, um, that can be really useful there. I think it also can be really useful as a defensive system to sort of attack both either being used against our delivery systems or used to attack others. So you mentioned like against ICBM forces uh, and ground mobile systems. I think there's a potential there where, you know, because theoretically you can imagine sort of drones sort of spreading out over an area, searching out like what exactly is going on. Um, I think some of the challenge you're going to get with like uh, the ground mobile ICBMs is sort of the stealth aspect of it. You know, if there's like 500 drones flying around looking for ICBMs, like someone's probably going to notice whether they do anything about it, you know, is, is going to be a question. But, you know, depending on the timing, that may be more or less valuable you know if you're anticipating some level of strike or you're worried about something happening like it might be worth the risk to do so 
Um, but you can also imagine, you know, doing so uh, a little bit more stealthily. You know, you have covert forces that maybe just have like a DJI quadcopter that's just sort of fl flying around, just kind of searching it out. Uh, something like that, that might not even draw any attention. In fact, we've seen that quite a bit in the United States. Uh, Bangor Kitsap uh, base in uh, Washington, there's been a bunch of random uh, drone sightings. No one really knows what exactly they are. I think it's quite plausible those are adversaries, you know, taking a look at what's going on at the base and, you know, looking at operations. Um, and then, of course, more broadly, it's a generally in, an Intel sensor asset as well, just to see you know, what exactly is going on. Because conceivably, a drone is just a platform, which means it can have any type of payload you want, from infrared um, to electro-optical to any other type of sensor that you might want. Um, yeah, so I think conceivably, you could have pretty much any, any role um, you could imagine that a platform would do. I think, um, before I start, I'll turn it back over to you. I think... One of the larger questions that's going to be really tough to deal with is what is the relative value, right? Like just because it can be applied doesn't mean it's a good idea sure. or that there aren't, you know, better things that might do so. So like if we talk about delivery, some of the challenges you get is you then become potentially vulnerable to like electronic warfare, like, you know, jamming that connection between the drone or manipulating any sort of autonomy or, you know, cyber potential attacks. It, those may be solvable problems, but they at least need to be solved if you're going to use it. And there may be systems that don't have those problems that may be preferable. Well, this is a good spot to take a quick break. So you're listening to Nuclecast with Zach Callenborn, and we will be right back. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the 15th Annual Nuclear Deterrent Summit. Come join NucleCast at the summit on February 13th through 15th, 2023 at the Hyatt Regency Crystal City, Arlington, Virginia. Industry and government experts will be discussing management of the nuclear security complex, stewardship of the nuclear stockpile, arms control negotiations, and strategic policy. Stop by the NucleCast booth to say hello. Executive producer Kimberly Charrington and I will be there interviewing guests for upcoming episodes. You can find a registration link to the Nuclear Deterrent Summit with a 15% discount on the NucleCast website at anwadeterred.org slash NucleCast. All right, and we're back with Zach Callenborn. This is Adam Lauder, your host. So we're talking about the role that drones can play. And, you know, you mentioned that there's a possibility versus, uh, you know, is this really a good idea? Is this feasible? Is this cost effective? You know, we have all these questions. And the Air Force recently, they had, I, I'm probably getting the name wrong. I think it was like Trusted Wingman or it was their wingman mm -hmm. program where they were going to pair drones with fighter with F-35s or, or other aircraft, you know, to create a, you know, your ability to engage in aerial combat. And, mm -hmm. the, and it, I think uh, the secretary of the air force, Frank Kendall, I, I read that that program was canceled. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you've seen this. It was, it was in the last few days, I think. And oh, interesting. so I, I, you know, if, uh, if you haven't read it, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of skip it, but 
you know, I, I saw it as an opportunity to, to, to really look at this question that you had of feasibility and what, what might be a feasible and the air force, obviously, if assuming I read, you know, read this correctly, uh, in that they're saying some things we thought might be feasible, maybe they're not as feasible as we thought. And, you know, so there's there's clearly concerns over the the issues that you've raised, and and I'm really interested in as as you think about, like I think in terms of ICBMs, uh, it, for example, I might want a drone. ICBMs are pretty safe in you know mm-hmm. silo based ICBMs, but I thought, what if for example I could set down an ICBM or a sorry a drone, an explosive drone with a high explosive charge, set it down outside the fence. And then I wait till, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the door blasts off and then maybe I pick it up off the grass and fly it in and explode it. Or, I mean, these are obviously, you know, sort of pie in the sky thoughts, or we mentioned attacking road mobile ICBMs or, you know, other things that you might be able to do. Do you envision sort of any of these abilities to, you know, like take road mobile ICBMs? I could imagine the United States taking drones because we, you know, through satellite imagery, we, we sort of know where their hide sites and movement sites are for some of our adversaries that you could put drones near those sites in woods or in, you know, some yeah, sort of absolutely. cover. Do you see any real possibility of these kinds of applications or do you see any possibility of using, you know, sort of a, a drone to deliver a nuclear weapon in a mm-hmm. sort of a hard to hit target? Cause there are some targets like the, the North Koreans are really good at this where they put, facilities on the sides of, you know, mountains in valleys such that an ICBM mm-hmm. can't hit them, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think absolutely. So I think there's a lot there that I want to sort of jump on. So I want to jump to the um, uh, first, the loyal wingman program. So I, I didn't see that particular development and that's a program I haven't been following too terribly closely. So I can't really talk too much about the specifics mm-hmm. there. Um, but I mean, I think you're right in that, like, it, it has relevance to sort of the potential, like, feasibility issue that is, and like, what is the actual um, value um, of these systems? So, like, in the loyal wingman, one of the parts that I liked about it is, like, and similarly, why you value drones in general is that they're relatively cheap. That is, you know, if you lose, like, the loyal wingman, you are also not losing a human pilot. That's, you know, we care vastly more about. Um, likewise, you know, not having that human means you can potentially make it, uh, much cheaper. That said, you know, you have to consider like the ways in which it used. Um, so like how exactly did the loyal wingman, for example, support in, uh, like a dogfight or a particular combat operations? What is the relative value that it provided that couldn't be in other places by say, like just having a more effective trained pilot, having long, longer range munitions, um, increased stealth capability, like any of the, you know, myriad ways that you can pr- potentially improve a fighter jet. Um, and then, of course, you have to think about, like, the logistics and management of that system. Like, okay, where does this come from? Like, is it, I, I can't remember exactly how this, how the loyal wingman is deployed, but, like, is this something that's, like, physically attached to the fighter jet? Is it, is it like, something that has to be launched yeah. and travels alongside? You know, those are all questions, and, and, and it's applicable to any type of drone um, or any type of application. 
Um, so to your point about like, you know, you might be thinking pie in the sky, like to some extent, like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like it may very well turn out that like some of those applications, they may not really make much sense. But like personally, I think it's a mistake, a priority to assume that they can't or that they aren't worth at least considering. So like the example of like, OK, what if you have like that bomb laden drone to hit an ICBM? The immediate challenge that I see is like, okay, what happens, like the timing of it, right? Like, because that's a pretty narrow window between like when the stores come off and when the ICBM launches and it's too high to hit with the drone. Um, Like, how big is that window? I don't, that goes beyond my level of expertise, but depending on what that looks like, if it's relatively big, like, that might be a feasible thing and honestly i don't know how much time like a drone pilot would need to actually like get in there and do some damage like if it's only like 10 seconds okay yeah that might be a little bit too um imaginary but like if you potentially have like 10 15 minute type windows like yeah that seems quite plausible do you Um, see drones being able to be fully autonomous with you know the requisite ai that they essentially are tasked with a mission and then, you know, they're, they're set forth to go, you know, hypothetically, if we want to, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, embed drones in, you know, in North Korea, for example, to strike, mm-hmm. you know, mobile ICBMs that we can just put them there and we say, okay, well, listen, if, if you think somebody's going to, has found you blow up, uh, if otherwise wait. And then if, uh, you know, until we give you the go order and then go, you know, then you're on your own to, to find the, I, the road mobile ICBM and, and attack it. Are we there yet with the, the technology? Or are we still to where we definitely need drone pilots who are, you know, flying these, these drones and operating them? Or are we at a point where we can autonomously, you know, for example, there's a video on the internet where, you know, the little drones have, targets and you know it's a human face and they just they go find look for that person and then target that person Mm -hmm. yeah so there's a yes and no to that like can we do it yes Uh, the question is how effectively and reliably can we do it and that's the much more tricky question the like can we do it yes like it's pretty simple like if you look at sort of the facial recognition examples um, and like machine vision, like the ability to recognize objects, absolutely machines can do that. And that's not even really that hard. Like I saw a video on uh, LinkedIn the other day where like is literally a 10 year old, he coded a machine vision system to classify his little Hot Wheels cars and, and not and not just like this is a car, but like the exact like model of like, this is the car, right? So like the notion that we could recognize and detect um, ICBMs, ground mobile ones, feasible. But the problem is doing so reliably and particularly considering the incredible variation that you potentially run into in moving through a country. Um, Everything from, you know, buildings, trees, what happens if it's foggy, it's rainy. Um, What if there's different things that are like partially in the way? What if they have camouflage? You know, there's a bazillion potential variations. And so doing that reliably with low false positive rates, that becomes more the issue there. Right. So like there's been some uh, looks that uh, like actually my favorite one, OpenAI, which has does some really advanced work in machine vision where they have a, a classifier that uh, recognizes like 99 percent probability like, OK, this is a Granny Smith apple when it showed like an apple. Right. But when they put a sticker on it, that's that is the word iPad on it. It then classifies like at 88 percent likelihood that this is an iPad. 
Um, so the point is like, it's a relatively brittle system. Mm -hmm. Um, and so how well that works in practice is a little bit iffy, especially if you're sort of removing that pilot that said, you know, there's a various ways you could imagine, um, where pilots might still have a role, right. Where you have like special operations force, other covert type folks who are in the area who are potentially monitoring some of these video feeds to confirm like, okay, yeah, that actually is an ICBM. But that said, what you absolutely can do with relatively without too much difficulty is um, some of that, like like what those drones shows, is following auto, autonomously following like waypoints and navigation. Um, so go point A to point B to point C, and like doing that part in North Korea, absolutely, that would be no issue at all. Outside of you know someone wondering like why is there a drone flying around, but like that part you could absolutely do. Do you see? So part of, you know, deterrence is the idea that you're going to change somebody's risk calculation such that the risk mm -hmm. is not worth the reward. Do you see drones as in, you know, we've been watching the role they played in Ukraine and particularly for the Russians because they've been pretty successful against the Russians. But do you see them playing a role in reshaping the risk calculus when it comes to nuclear deterrence? That's a big question. I don't, honestly, I don't think drastically. Um, like, I think it'll have an effect, like, absolutely. But I see drones as more sort of like a sideshow to, like, nukes and generally the types of things that we've done already. Like, if we accept that um, North Korea can reasonably deter to some degree, like, the United States based on its relatively limited arsenal, then, like, even meaningful enhancements of, like, drones, like, Mm, does it really change the game, like our understanding of how like the nuclear deterrence uh, interactions really change all that much? Probably not. That said, I do think there are some particularly important things that are very much at least worth concern and thinking about. Um, the one that really strikes me is uh, submarine warfare and particularly reliability of second strike deterrence. Um, you know, because submarines are hiding in the vastness of the ocean and, you know, they hide because it's a relatively small size versus the vastness of the ocean, you know, plus various stealth characteristics and that sort of thing. But if you have a large number of distributed sensors and a large number of distributed platforms that can potentially search for them, that may change quite a bit. Um, now, of course, once you find the submarine, you have to be able to strike it. So it's not as simple and the, the ocean is still massive. So even if you have a bunch of drones, like still gonna be a challenge. But I do think that is an area of pretty serious concern, at least that bears uh, looking at. So for example, uh, the United States has been developing the Sea Hunter drone that is an autonomous unmanned surface vehicle. It's actually pretty much exactly what you're talking about with the, uh, the for looking for land mobile ICBMs, except looking for submarines instead, where this is a autonomous see uh unmanned surface vehicle i think it's about 140 ish feet long so relatively small but it can stay out in the ocean roughly 70 to 90 days without people actually supporting it and its whole job is sort of to just roam around and look for submarines and then when it finds a submarine it just you know follows them follows them around and then we can then track where those submarines go um, so, you know, theoretically, if you manage to track all submarines at, that are deployed at any one given time, then theoretically a second strike become or a first strike becomes possible to wipe out, wipe out um, all nuclear forces if we know where all those are. Assuming, again, that we have the munitions to, you know, hit those places uh, before they potentially run away. 
So I think that's concerning, um, especially because, like, I think there are a number of trends that are heading in that direction. You know, if we think about just big data and artificial intelligence, just generally in the ability to process information, like that absolutely supports building that awareness of not only the ocean, but just generally what's going on. And of course, you know, we also have like the ubiquity of satellite satellites uh, to be able to support that, as well as like new sensor technology, like advancing in quantum sensors uh, that also potentially add that situational awareness and transparency. Um, actually, CSI, I'll plug a uh, piece that CSI uh, did recently at Pony. I thought it was really fantastic looking at uh, the situational awareness um, that's going on, looking at reviewing multiple technologies, including but not limited to drones to see like noting that like all their effects in like building awareness of what's going on. So I think that's a fairly significant um, one uh, to grapple with that has potentially big effects for uh, larger nuclear deterrence dynamics. Yeah. You mentioned the sea drones and it was, a, we've largely discussed, you know, we've thought in terms of aerial drones, but it, mm -hmm. the idea of disrupting American second strike assurity because you have drones that can, you know, with a, with a simple torpedo can take out an SSBN and it makes mm -hmm. it very hard to be able to respond with an when you use a conventional munition to to sink a submarine to then use nuclear weapons in responses is somewhat of a challenge to justify, particularly in a democracy like the United States. So that's a, a really good use. And then, you know, we've not really even talked about uh, land-based drones. So as we think about, yeah. you know, Aerial drones looking for and trying to destroy. I could easily see um, drones that are, you know, made to look like rocks or other things that are that are mobile, but can sit and just wait. And then potentially they release a munition. They have a little rocket, you know. They have because to to disable, you know, a land based ICBM or you know, a road mobile ICBM doesn't necessarily take a giant boom. Uh, so yeah. do you see their, their role as potentially being more on the defensive side of trying to destroy ICBMs, boomers, whatever, or do you see them being used in an offensive capacity? Yeah, that's interesting. So um, actually, I, that was the gist of an article that I put out for War on the Rocks on uh, drone swarm implications for CBRN sort of looking at that. I can't remember exactly what I, we concluded around nuke specifically, but uh, my inclination is that I think the more um, important implications are for defense. I, I think there is applications for offense, um, but again, it doesn't strike me as a drastic real game changer there. I think the defense is really where the many of the significant applications are at, especially since, you know, drones are just very cheap, which means inherently they somewhat for us favor the defense because theoretically like even small states can get this type of capability. But of course, you know, even within the defense capability, we also have to consider, you know, the responses to drones. like. One of the things that I think is interesting, like we talk about sort of mobile ICBMs as well as submarines as well, why not just create fake drones that are look like, you know, nuke subs that are traveling around because um, that creates and makes it much more difficult. Or alternatively, what if you just have a drone that looks like a mobile ICBM? There's nothing actually in it. You know, yeah. maybe you got the ICBM is really just an <laughs> inflatable balloon or whatever. 
um, but you just drive that around as like a drone, um, you know, that uh, even if it, there's nothing there, it at least complicates the targeting problem um, drastically because we'd have to know beforehand, okay, is that a decoy? Is that not a decoy? Before one is wanting to risk sort of letting the nuclear chain off the, off the, um, to go. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, thinking in terms of the Ukraine conflict and the Russian threats to use, you know, low yield sort of battlefield weapons, those are very clearly mobile systems most often, uh, whether if it's a short range ballistic missile. And so to me, as much as the Ukrainians, for example, have been very good at striking Russian targets, that these perhaps more so than strategic nuclear weapons, these short range battlefield nuclear weapons might be more susceptible to drone attack than, you know, the more, the larger, you know, uh, silo-based or bomber-based, uh, you know, drone systems or delivery systems. Yeah, I, I think so, um, especially if they're sort of being interacting in relatively normal battlefield environments, then they're just as susceptible to the challenges that you run into in the battlefield from, you know, having that bear actor flying overhead and just blows it up. Um, but I think also, actually, that, that that brings up a really interesting issue as well, is um, sort of that ubiquity of drones and that awareness as well of just what's going on sort of in the battlefield. Like, what, that's one of the things I found particularly fascinating about Ukraine um, is not only just the use of drones just generally, but in particular, the use of civilians, uh, drones drones by civilians for information purposes. Like, we've seen just on, like, Telegram, Twitter, folks where they're just like, oh, they're flying their personal drone around and they see Russian, you know, movements and take pictures and collect video like, oh, hey, here's a take moving around and then put it up and understand what's going on. So, you know, to connect that to nukes specifically, you know, so, okay, we can imagine that there's that mobile tactical nuke that's sort of driving around potentially you know, that might very well get captured by either drone, cell phone, camera, something of that sort, and just upload on social media. Um, so there's potentially greater awareness of those movements, which also, of course, makes it harder for, like, say, Russia to try to achieve, like, a stealthy attack on that because, like, people are potentially watching it. Not impossible by sure. no means, but, you know, you can at least have that much greater awareness of, like, oh, shit, there's a new driving around. Yeah. This could be a problem. Now, unfortunately, we are out of time for this uh, this episode is there anything you want to leave the listeners with that you think they really have to about when it comes to drones? Yeah, I think the key issue that we really need to think about is the just the creativity of it. And just thinking about drones have so many potential applications. Um, I think it's incumbent on us to be willing to think broadly and creatively and even come up with, frankly, what might even be a dumb idea. But because it may turn out, actually, it's not really that dumb. We just haven't thought about it. Of course, you know, the flip side of that is that when the rubber starts hitting the road, we also need ways to assess some of these things and figure out what are these things are actually real. That means like war gaming, exercises, training, modeling, simulation, everything in between to figure out like, okay, what are the real effects here? What are not? But we need to think broadly and creative, creatively, creatively about what the technology means because Certainly adversaries are doing that. All right. We'll make that the last word. I want to thank my my guest, Zach Callenborn, and I want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us on today's episode of NucleCast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.
What a great episode with Zach Callenborn. I had never really spent that much time thinking about the role of drones in nuclear deterrence or in nuclear defense uh, until, you know, talking to Zach. So it was really, really sort of insightful to think through where we could go with drones and, and deterrence and, is it stabilizing, destabilizing? It's it's a challenging thought, and it's one where there's there's going to be a lot of creativity and a lot of thought put forth in the years ahead. So hopefully you enjoyed the, the segment as much as I did. We'll see you next time.